welcome everybody to Mental Health Much. No, your ears are not playing tricks on you. This is Jordan Bongor, and I'm the new host of Mental Health Much. I've staged a hostile takeover bid, and I now own 51% of Vincent's podcast. I have, in my benevolence, graciously allowed Vincent to stay on in a ceremonial co-host role with no real power. Vincent, you may now say hello to the audience, and I think you had some announcements for us, and maybe you can tell us how your week's been. Save me, please, everyone. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm so happy to have you take over. It's the first Mental Health Much podcast that I'm not hosting, so I'm really excited. And you know what else is exciting is that this is getting released on December 31st. So tomorrow is the new year. So happy new year to all my listeners, all of you who listen to this before tomorrow. Happy new year to all. Are you happy that 2022 is over, Vincent, or are you not? I'm pretty indifferent about that. <laughs> I, should, I, I feel like everybody has an opinion, but it's funny because for me, the year resets in September with school year and not in January with uh, the calendar year. So I'm not fully attached to this date, but I get, I get it. What about you? Oh, gosh. I'm happy to see the tail end of 2022. I'm looking forward to 2023. It was a crazy year this year. It really was. And it's a really interesting year, but happy to see it from the rear view mirror. So just to reassure our listeners, Vincent is still the host of Mental Health Much. I've not taken it over. I'm just hosting for this special episode of our mini series on body image, diet industry and self-esteem. And this is a really special episode because it's the first time we've had four of us in the podcast at once. We've got two guests and two hosts tonight. So I guess without further ado, I'd like to welcome our guests who are Amanda and Lauren. Welcome to the show. Yay. Hi. Hi. Thanks for having us. So happy to be here. So happy to have you here. Maybe you can start by telling the audience a little bit more about yourselves. Sure, I'll start. So I'm Lauren. I am 25 years old. My pronouns are she, her. I am a cisgender woman and I identify as queer or lesbian. I'm in a long-term relationship with my beautiful partner, Amanda. I currently work in wealth management. Hobbies, if walking dogs is a hobby, then sure, that would be my hobby. It's a hobby. It's a hobby. (laughs) I'm glad to hear that. I'm Amanda. I'm Lauren's partner. My pronouns are she, her. I identify as queer or lesbian. I work in product management product marketing. I kind of do both. And my hobbies are the same. We kind of do a lot together. So dog walking and binging Netflix is a <laughs> Because whenever I have free time, you know, I'm on the hunt for a new show to, uh, to binge. So a little bit about me. What have you been binging lately? Just out of curiosity. Oh, I want to say a queer show, but it's Wednesday. <laughs> oh, yeah. It looks queer, though. I, I've only seen the, the trailer. It was a trap. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't one of the characters has like their hair dye in the, in the trends-like color? Mm-hmm. And that's a trap? That's queer baiting? Yep, you said it's it. Very subtle. Very <laughs> subtle. But I, once they definitely gave off queer vibes, hence we started watching it. But I guess not. Mm. Spoilers and disappointment. Yes. <laughs> one really good one that we're watching that just came back is The Sex Lives of College Girls. Really, really great show. Hilarious. Yeah, really funny. Mindy Kaling can do no wrong. Exactly. 
And then, of course, the L word generation Q. So those are kind of the ones we've been binging lately. I forgot the L word to come back. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we're going to start with the big, heavy-hitting questions right out of the gate. So, Lauren and Amanda, would you like to tell us what your relationship with the topic of body images? Yeah, I can start. So my relationship with body image, it goes deep for a lot of us, I'm sure. It's gotten better in the last couple of years. I think as I get older, I'm starting to accept certain things about myself. I think being in a long-term relationship with someone helps that as well. Yeah, I think there's things in my past, not to spend too much time on like childhood trauma, but that like certain things that people said to you as a kid or when you were in high school that just stay with you. To give an example, I think body hair was a big issue for me. You know, one comment that was made to me when I was like 14 years old saying, you know, I look like a boy or that is too much hair for a woman really stayed with me. So, you know, since then, I've been obsessed with just removing body hair. Because if I have any, I I feel like I'm not the definition of a woman. It's kind of sucks to admit something like that. But these things and, you know, media as well, just stay with you. So it's an ongoing relationship, I guess. Mm -hmm. What about you? Yeah, well, when our friend, our mutual friend James, told us about this project, you know, we love James, we do anything for him. So shout out to James, first of all. Hi, James. It will be your turn one day. Yes. <laughs> and also, I've never done a podcast like this before, so I really wanted to get out there and give it a try. And, you know, a representation of queer women voices or really any, uh, you know, lesser explored narratives is a win for everyone. So... Yeah, and my relationship with body image, I would say, is a very personal journey. It is a continuous journey, you know, towards self-love. I have my own fair share of insecurities. Thinking about it, I used to be very insecure about my body frame, not thin enough in the exact right places, not tall enough. You know, maybe my facial features weren't feminine enough, not even Eurocentric or white enough, things like that. It's a laundry list. (laughs) Anyway, I'm no stranger to body shaving. So I'm a Filipino immigrant. I came to Canada at a very young age. And, you know, if you're Filipino or grew up in a Filipino household, you've probably heard one of these comments from, you know, one of your titas, your aunties, your lolas, something along the lines of, oh, you've gained some weight, but you look so healthy. Or, oh, you're too skinny. Come and eat. You know, in Filipino culture, these are casual greetings from relatives. So backhanded compliments, intrusive comments in a nonchalant, joking way. Those are very common in our culture. So things like that, I feel like it's so ingrained in our cultural value. And I myself, you know, you're taught to kind of just conform and be respectful and not talk back. So I would say it made my skin a little tougher, but it still got to me from time to time. These, you know, remarks have real effects. I'm curious, you mentioned when you started talking, Lauren, that it's always important to have queer women voices represented. Do you feel like queer women are left out of the conversation about body image in the LGBTQ world? Or do you think that you have a voice? I would say it tend to focus more so on just women in general, like as an umbrella, you're just put under that umbrella, you know, body image of women, period. So that queer part is often left out Mm -hmm. that overpowers just women being an umbrella term as opposed to being obviously more specific to queer women 
right? Because a lot of the concerns that both of you raised in your intro were very much what I hear straight women, cis women talk about like, oh, you know, was this, it was body hair, it was size, it was things like that. So it's interesting to hear you say like, oh yeah, the woman umbrella almost is like bigger than the queer woman. But hopefully today we can try and see what's specific to queer women. I'm assuming after coming out and going into like queer women spaces, then there's like all of these other things that get added to the mix. So that'll be an interesting conversation. What a great segue for our next topic of conversation, which is about queer women and the media and body image. So I know Vincent and I did an episode where we did the sort of queer history of body image. And some of the stuff we discovered around portrayals of lesbians and queer women in the media was really, really problematic. Like there was the whole lesbian chic thing. And I wondered if you guys could comment on the media and its influence on body image for queer women. This is a big one. Queer women in media. I would say there are probably two parts when I think about this topic. One is we're not represented enough. Uh, Two, when we are, it's often for the male gaze. I'm not sure if you guys have heard that term. Oh, we have. Mm. (laughs) We have talked about the male gaze. (laughs) Male gaze. Yeah. To explain a little bit more on the first one, not being represented enough Um, whenever a new show, like a new queer woman show on Netflix drops, we will binge it in a weekend or in a night. We will watch it as soon as it's released. When the L Word releases a new episode, we watch it within the first 24 hours because we want to tell these platforms we're interested. We want more of this. Because if we don't do that, it's just going to get canceled or they're going to kill off the lesbian character. Um, That's a known trope within media. And then the second part about the male gazed and having content that is for men and not really sharing the lesbian stories. There's so many examples. I think the one that comes to mind back in high school is Black Swan. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Though I was not in high school and neither was Jordan. Nope, nope. (laughs) We were old men still. (laughs) I mean, we could spend, I guess, hours talking about all the different types of queer or lesbian content, but it's directed by a straight cis male. So, you know, some of those sex scenes are just horrible to watch it's like oh my gosh this is not accurate this is not what happens it makes no sense um these are not the stories we should be showing like especially young people trying to like discover themselves yeah and that reminds me of these movies i remember during my early years after just coming out blue is the warmest color i think black swan disobedience oh my goodness it gave me such an ick watching the lesbian scenes in those movies and lo and behold it was directed by cis male but i would say we've definitely made a lot of progress when it comes to storytelling of queer women there's more nuanced more complex storylines now that i've noticed as opposed to lesbian scenes for rating ploys but even all those shows i i would say do get canceled somehow there's so many lesbian focused or queer woman focused shows that end up getting 
getting canceled. But anyway, aside that, I would say that growing up, not seeing, you know, that representation, more specifically on my end, you know, queer women of color representation, you do start to think and kind of internalize that idea that, oh, maybe I'm not the ideal type of what people find desirable in the queer community. And you kind of get discouraged that you can't meet that media's portrayal of the queer woman back in, you know, early 2000s when all these lesbian or queer women TV shows that come out, it's usually just cisgendered white women that are the face of the lesbian community. So I would say that definitely was a bit of a discouragement growing up, like I said, because I don't meet that criteria of what's a conventionally attractive lesbian or queer woman. Mm-hmm. Even the first uh, DL word was yeah, like yeah. pretty white, and then Quares folks too, where I guess Melanie was Jewish, but still today would be seen as white. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So queer women definitely are underrepresented. Queer women of color definitely also underrepresented. But I would say there is progress, slow progress. But um, and I remember seeing movies like uh, Saving Face or The Half of It, where uh, you know the protagonist is an Asian woman, a lesbian woman, or queer woman. So that definitely made me feel happy and seen. And I do wish more TV or movie content are introduced more like that, you know, more thoughtful storylines about women who love women. Yeah, so... Not all about sex. Not all about sex, (laughs) exactly. And with that in the media, there's so many tropes with the, you know, with lesbian or queer storylines. I'm not sure if you both know about, you know, the trope of the lesbian getting killed off. Mm -hmm. But that is a huge trope in lesbian TV. Like all the shows. (laughs) I have a list of shows and movies where the lesbian gets killed off. Wow. I think there's articles about it. Yeah. It's interesting to hear you be like, as soon as something is out, we go and we watch it. And we're like, we play it on a loop on our Netflix to make sure that like the numbers are growing just so that it's not canceled. Yeah. That really mean like you're starving for good quality lesbian content, but also that you're like settling for average content and still that gets canceled and gets like killed. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we, we try to, um, what do we say, uh, beat the algorithm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, playing it on repeat, getting the viewership up. It's funny because there's this network, we just found it about a year ago. It's called Tello, so T-E-L-L-O. And it's a network, I don't know too much about it, but it, it has queer women content. We were paying a subscription to that for about a year. And I think we watched one or two movies on it that were kind of higher production. The rest is lower production, but we were just paying because we wanted, <laughs> you know, we wanted to support. We wanted to show like, you know, we need a network like this. Like Lauren said, we've made progress in media, but there is just such a long way to go. Hopefully these generations can help us. But yeah. What about characters like Willow in Buffy, who is introduced as, like, let's be real, like, she's introduced as straight. And it's probably around season, like, four or five or six. I don't remember all the specifics where she, like, is now suddenly, like, a queer icon. Like, is that good or is that (laughs) not so good? I think The 100 does that, too, with their main character, where she's introduced as straight. And then by season three, I think she's like, oh, now you're a lesbian, apparently. 
Yeah, it's the soft launch, you know, kind of just testing the waters, <laughs> testing the audience. <laughs> Not you hooked. And then we're going to take it away from you. And then we'll yeah. kill off the last Oh, in the hundred, she does get killed. Oh yeah. my god, she's so badass too. Spoilers, sorry. Oh my gosh, I wish I watched poor TV because I don't know any of these shows. I'm like, <laughs> uh, one thing that I found interesting when we were talking about media is the way that queer women and lesbianism gets sold back to straight women as a lifestyle choice or as an accessory that they can try on for a while. Um, I'm thinking specifically around the early 90s when I was younger and in high school, lesbian chic when Katie Lang came out and there was all that sort of like iconic imagery and like Madonna even sort of caught onto the wagon and started dating women. And, and not to say that I know Madonna's sexuality, but you know there was certainly a heavy emphasis on that. And I think it's come around a couple of times. What are your thoughts on how that gets marketed back to straight women. Um, it's pretty loaded. <laughs> it is pretty loaded. And going back to the male gaze, you know, women in the media are kind of viewed from the eyes of the heterosexual man. And I feel like there's a certain idea uh, surrounding around kissing women or male validation. And that does invalidate, you know, lesbian relationship, queer woman relationship, because you're almost just doing it for the attention or for the validation of men. So I guess that means we're putting the Katy Perry song on blast then. (laughs) A couple of like a decade too late, we're putting it on blast, but we're putting it on blast. Was that a lesbian anthem? Like, I know when it came out, the gays were like, yes, queen. But like, were lesbians also like, I love this song and I know it's problematic, but like, go and kiss that girl. It's interesting you say that the gays loved it because we were talking about this the other night. But these, like, say, straight pop stars are, like, praised by the gay community. But the lesbian, queer women music industry is kind of on the sidelines, even though, like, their music is just as good. And so it's interesting. Um, Personally, when I Kissed a Girl came out, yeah, I think at the time I was really happy about it. I mean, looking back on it now, you can see kind of, the issues it was a different time for sure yeah it definitely even for the gays did not age particularly well but like when it first came out like those first maybe i'm gonna say months to be generous but probably weeks uh <laughs> it was a thing yeah i mean personally i thought it was a bop when it first came out i was like oh song about kissing women sure i'll take it <laughs> back to it i mean yes. it's all we had i mean yeah we'll was- take what we can get you know <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so there's some stereotypes that we hear about queer women in body image, and I'm going to ask you if you've heard about them and to validate if they're true or not. So big pressure here. You have to speak for all lesbians everywhere. <laughs> um, no, you don't. So we've already talked a little bit about queer women being left out of the conversation around body image. Um, one thing that's very common in the gay male world is that we have a lot of subcategories, like twinks and bears and gym queens, otters, daddies, grandpas, you name it. Are there similar stereotypes or sort of tropes in the lesbian world attached to age and body type? Yeah, the answer is yes. Um, there definitely are. Some of them for us is like the femme, the butch, the angry lesbian. Learned one recently called the chapstick lesbian. I thought that was really interesting because I think I personally identify more in that category and I didn't even know it was a thing. I would say growing up, I 
was more so familiar with butch or femme, those two, and androgynous. Androgynous was kind of a new thing at the time. Um, so those were the things that I knew, butch, femme, androgynous. But I feel like Gen Zs now have all these subcategories, mm-hmm. so many more. I recently learned about cottage core lesbians, astrology lesbians, <laughs> U-Haul lesbians, which by the way, I think is a pretty accurate yeah. you know, stereotype. We're definitely U-Haul lesbians. Yeah, we are. <laughs> Not even a year, I would say. It was like eight months. Yeah. Mm. yeah. But does it come with a look? Does it come with like clothing or, you know, body types or just like being able to lift boxes? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe. Yeah, I didn't think of that. But when it comes to specifically age and physicality, I would say butch and femme and androgynous would fall on those. I would say with being butch, I feel like it's associated with more, um, you know, larger body type, more masculine presenting. Mm -hmm. With femmes, you think of someone that's more slender, thinner, Mm -hmm. definitely more feminine presenting. I would say those two buckets fall really under more of the physical category. Androgynous, I would say, kind of falls in the middle. You know, you're not quite feminine, not quite masculine, more of a gender-neutral presenting lesbian. We did mention in our last episode that, I don't know if this is a stereotype, but it it feels like in the lesbian world, it would be okay for two more femme lesbian to date, whereas maybe for two butch lesbians to date, it would maybe be more frowned upon. But I'm not sure if that's true, if it's just my perception of what is in the media. I would say it's also my perception, but... Going back to the male gaze, obviously, it's more digestible to have two very feminine-looking women mm. as opposed to, you know, masculine-presenting women because it's you know, so much more sexualized. So I feel like it's more accepted in a way. Interesting point. You know, speaking about feminine lesbians or highly feminine lesbians, is there any difficulty for them to come out and fit in the community if they are perceived as highly feminine? Or is that something that doesn't exist, really? I think it is. I can't speak personally too much to it because I don't consider myself that feminine. I'm not really butch either, but like chapstick lesbian. lesbian. (laughs) So yeah, I think it's back to perception. So when you see a very feminine woman, you're not gonna think, oh, that girl is gay, that girl's a lesbian. Whereas someone taking on a more butch appearance, there's assumptions already made without even speaking to that person that oh they must be gay lesbian queer i think from that side of things it could be more difficult for a more feminine lesbian to come out and feel more confident in their sexuality but i can't speak too much to it because i haven't experienced it but i can see how it could be yes i would think there's a couple sides to that. I'd say within the, the queer community or queer women community, it's more accepting. But I feel like there's still this deep-rooted biphobia, let's say, that if you're too feminine, you're probably just straight looking to experiment, you know. And I think that a lot of, you know, highly feminine women can almost feel invisible. You're kind of put into an, a position where you're either having to assert your sexuality or kind of defend your sexuality, your queerness, and that's exhausting. And I think on the other side, in the sadly heteronormative world, uh, when you're straight passing, you're presenting and acting in a traditionally feminine manner, 
people just assume you're straight, like you said. Mm-hmm. So it makes it harder for you to come out. You're kind of shoved back unwillingly into the closet because of the assumption that you don't look lesbian or you don't look queer enough. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming because Lauren, you mentioned that the woman umbrella was almost like overpowering the queer umbrella that maybe ultra femme lesbian or lesbian who pass as like feminine, maybe also have it easier in some way because they fit more into the like cis straight woman beauty standard. So I'm assuming that growing up is probably easier because, you know, gimmins who are bullied as kids, it's because they appear too feminine. Do girls who appear too masculine get bullied the same way that boys who feel too feminine get bullied? Yeah, we're going to dive real deep into Amanda's childhood right now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> From my experience, and I had to pause and think about it because I try not to relive it too much. Um, but as a kid, from like whenever I can have my earliest memory, I was wearing boy clothes. I would only shop for boy clothes and I would wear, you know, baseball hats, my hair tied back. I was very... Um, I guess tomboy was the the word. It was like tomboy to an extreme. And, you know, even at McDonald's, your Happy Meal toy, I would beg for the male toy. I wanted the action figures. You know, I wanted that. And then, you know, kids are mean. And if you're not, if you're a woman, but you're acting like a boy, it makes them uncomfortable. So they're going to react in a way that, is harmful to you. And like I said before, those things about like body hair stayed with me. I think a big reason why I kind of grew out of that kind of tomboy and took on a little bit more feminine was because I didn't want people bullying me or making fun of me, making me feel bad. Um, So it was kind of just grew out of it a little bit. I mean, I definitely still shop in the boys section today i think they have uh they have a lot of pockets so (laughs) (laughs) no fringes no glitters just plain clothes yeah so um, boring where are glitters (laughs) so yeah i would say it's similar i would say to you know a young boy acting very feminine so Mm. kids society they're mean you gotta do something about it yeah, I think that goes back to something we talked about, Vincent, on the, the Queer History Podcast, which is our bodies often betray us as queer long before we know who we are, and we have to choose safety, and it's such a hard thing as queer people to have to do. So thank you for sharing that. That was really, really vulnerable and, and powerful. So thank you. That being said, I think this is going to be a kind of a redundant question because I think you guys have brought a lot of the political into our conversation today, which is a great thing. We're all about the politics here on Mental Health Much. Um, we're also anti-capitalist on Mental Health Much. <laughs> um, we haven't brought capitalism into the conversation yet. But a lot of what we researched earlier for our earlier episode was that the look and style for queer women was very political throughout sort of history, or that it was a political statement that the way queer women presented themselves. Is this something that you feel is accurate? Is it something that you choose to do now? Or Yeah, I mean, 100%. I think the style and look for queer women is very much political, and it's politicized, too. I feel like masculine fashion sense is kind of a trope that's been associated with queer women throughout history. 
I mean, I also know that we don't have to rely on dressing like a man to prove ourselves or to signal to other lesbians. But, you know, I think what really sets queer woman fashion or even really queer style in general is it's um, very much intentional in challenging binaries, you know, the beauty standards upheld by patriarchy. So we dress in a manner that's almost self-affirming. I feel that queer women can dress feminine, not for the male gaze, but to have, you know, that bodily autonomy or control in defining what beautiful is or what our sexuality is. So clothing kind of allows for our bodies to speak that. And speaking of that, actually, there was this article that recently came out, I think it was beginning of 2022, March. um, And it was an article by New York Post about dressing like a lesbian is now sexy and a powerful new trend. And that to me, when I first saw it, I mean, I was I, I couldn't believe it. I was kind of flabbergasted. Like, is this a compliment or is this not a compliment? I mean, it was nice. I mean, it was in a way pretty validating to see that, oh, okay, they're praising our fashion sense, our style, but also thanks, but no thanks. Mm-hmm. It's almost like, you know, back to we'll take what we can get mentality because, you know, in the past, we had to kind of fight for any positive content or mention around lesbian women or queer women but it's funny because you think about the article and like what it's really about and you know it boils down to like they like Hollywood celebrities you know people they'll accept our style but not us as like queer women so Mm -hmm. you're taking our style, but forgetting about our stories and our journey and the history of how we even got to that kind of style, just adapting it like it's cool and and chic. It's a little frustrating. And I think there's, you know, some queer women who would probably see that article and feel really good about themselves, you know, going into work and seeing like their straight colleague wearing like a similar outfit to them that's, you know, making you feel to your point, safe, right? Versus being kind of the outsider. So there, you know, I don't want to say that, you know, everyone's perception of that article or anything similar is different, but it can be frustrating when we do get mentioned, it's still centered around straight people. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, When we discuss it, the problem is that straight people can opt out of looking like a lesbian when it's no longer fashionable. I love that you say that it comes without all of the history and everything. So what role does body image take in lesbian relationships? That's a good one. That's a, yeah, that's a a hefty one. So I feel that lesbian or queer women are pretty much sidelined in these conversations because as we mentioned earlier, we're just kind of under the umbrella of women and body image. So when it comes to lesbian relationships, I feel like it's reduced to who wears the pants in the relationship? Who's the butch? Who's the femme? Or who is the man in the relationship? So I feel like it is reduced to that sort of ideal or perception. But I would say that body image in itself, it's very multidimensional. And with the added kind of layers or vulnerabilities of being a marginalized gender, being women and in sexuality, being queer, I feel like being in a lesbian relationship, you're even more uh, exposed to more prejudice and it's something that's definitely not really talked about 
I would say being in a lesbian relationship or even the lesbian relationship portrayals that you see in media is very much so hypersexualized. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like again, going back to the male gaze, you know, where women in the media or lesbian women in media are very much viewed from the eyes of heterosexual men, you know, sexualized way of portraying lesbian women. So like I mentioned before, there's just this certain idea about women kissing women or women loving women or males attention. So that I think is sort of the, the image that there is out there for lesbian relationships. In uh, one of the hypotheses that we made in our last episode with Jordan is that different body types and uh, people of color were more accepted in lesbian communities than in gay communities. Obviously not in the media. You said, Lauren, that you didn't see yourself at all portrayed in the media. But is that, again, just something that we think of from the outside? Or do you feel like this is something that is really a thing? Like I'm thinking of Orange is a New Black. There are a lot of different body types. And there's a lot of like queer women of color on that show. And it never seems to be like a big deal. Whereas... If it had been a show about gay men, I feel like these issues would have come up. I would say even though today's body or beauty standards are more inclusive, it definitely is more inclusive now. I feel like there's still that standard body image in the media or within the queer woman community. I feel like the face of you know an ideal queer woman is still someone that's white, slender, fabulously looking. I feel like there's still that underlying standard there. But definitely with shows like Orange is the New Black, I feel like that's kind of a, an outlier. It's a, it's a great representation, great show, but there's definitely more shows and even newer shows or portrayals out there that still has this body image norm upheld. Well, even with like Orange is the New Black, the two leads that got the most screen time in this show were two white women. Mm-hmm. So although we did have like a good diverse cast, they definitely, yeah, they didn't get the same screen time as the main characters. They also killed off Hussein. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There you go. <laughs> Who is a black queer woman. There was a show recently on Netflix called First Kill. So it was a vampire show. And it had a lot of viewership, but it got canceled after the first season. And that was a show where, yeah, we still have one of the main characters as a white woman, but the other was a black woman and it got canceled. And we watched that show in like one night. Mm. (laughs) Yeah. Even in Orange is the New Black, Boo, who was more of a butch, she didn't get murdered, but she's got written off the show eventually and she just sort of like quietly disappears with half of the cast. And she was used almost exclusively as a comic relief, almost not like as a serious character. Exactly. I don't want to say it's tokenism, but it's like borderline tokenism almost that yes, there's an influx of this diverse queer women material, but it's still a side storyline or still a side character. It's not so much centered around you know the complexities of their storyline or their lives but um it's just it's it's very on the surface only the representation that you see that's more diverse Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. they talk a lot about decentering whiteness in a lot of our media these days in terms of 
telling the stories from the position of people of color. I guess also decentering sort of that sort of uniform story of like white femalehood as being the only story of lesbianism or queers that we want to hear. And I think that's a really important thing to discuss. Most queer stories get told from the surface anyway. It's like it's a coming out story or it's like forbidden love, that kind of thing. Not the movie Forbidden Love, which is a great movie if you're looking for queer female content. <laughs> I have another question regarding like lesbians and body image. I feel like unfortunately lesbians don't have as much as a scene. Like when we think about gay men, we think about the gay scene, even in the Church and Wesley village. Although we call it the gay village and LGBTQ, let's be real, like it's it's a gay scene. Yeah. I know that a lot of gay men develop a lot of body image issues around the scene, around like going out to those bars and circuit parties and seeing those places where, you know, youth and whiteness, but also muscular is repeated all the time. That's all that there is. Is the absence of like a lesbian scene helpful in a way against that? Or would it be like a more inclusive, like heaven that we are not allowed to have in Toronto? We've been in a long-term relationship, so we don't really go out much. <laughs> But I would say from my observation is when it comes to queer women-centered events or scenes like that, it's definitely, I feel, is more inclusive. You know, it's never just a lesbian party. It's more so like queer woman party. I, I would say it, it, it is definitely more inclusive. More inclusive. I think it's because we're all in relationships. <laughs> yeah you know, I think that's also part of the reason why there's not many lesbian bars or lesbian clubs out there is because we just yeah we just dive into that long-term relationship <laughs> but yeah I think I agree with that they are rare but any you know lesbian events that we do attend it's been very like warm and accepting I just wish we had more mm -hmm, yeah mm. I feel like in the mid-2000s, there was a queer women's scene in Toronto, like centered around Queen West and like a couple other spots, not on the village, but outside of the village. And that kind of dissipated. And I wonder where that went, because there were a lot of like really great nights and events for people to go out to. Cherry so. Bomb. Oh, yeah. I think yeah. they're still Cherry around. Bomb. Um, yeah, they are still around, although, yeah. We need to go out more. Yeah, I think, I think that's, that's <laughs> what it is. We need to go out more. Um, I'm so old, I remember the lesbian bar in Toronto, Pope Jones, so that's going back a ways. Well, Tim McCaskill, that we know for being a queer historian, wrote about how with the pay gap between gender, even with two women, it's normal that there's less disposable income. So often, like, queer women have to move away from downtown, away from the center of the town. And now in Toronto, it's not even a thing that downtown costs more like everywhere costs more so to lower salary equals less disposable income equals less i'm going out and uh there's less of a focus on that yeah I mean, generally speaking women do get paid less than men now imagine two women in a relationship that's a double whammy right there yeah mm -hmm. very true i'm i'm curious one of the things that comes up a lot when i think of body image is obviously the diet culture and like having to lose weight. And I am curious what role it plays in the lesbian world, which I think Lauren, you've answered a little bit by saying like, Oh, the woman umbrella is almost like bigger than the queer umbrella. So I think it's hard to live through this world without encountering the diet culture. Although a lot of the fat activists that I like and that I follow are all queer women. And so 
there is that also that exists. So what do you think of the diet culture and how it plays a role in the lesbian world? Wow, good question. <laughs> yeah. It's I think I would I would agree just like from what I've seen, like a lot of the activists that I I've seen online, like on social media, have also been queer. And I don't know if that's just the algorithm showing me things, you know, I'm interested in, which probably is the case. But I see that more than straight women activists. So I think that could speak in a positive way about being in a woman and woman relationship. But I think, like you said, the umbrella of women, it's like, it doesn't matter your sexuality or how you're identifying it, it's there. And you think about it without knowing you're thinking about it, you know, whether it's like, okay, if I eat this, then I won't have that. So it's like a sacrifice game. And I think, at least for me, it's like, I've normalized that way of my day and what I eat, it's like, okay, if I have sugar in my coffee, I'm not going to have dessert. What a sad trade off. <laughs> I know. <laughs> you know, like little things like that. Yeah, I would say diet culture and fat phobia runs so, so deep in our culture, whether you're queer or straight as a woman, it's almost just second nature for you, you know, to watch out for your weight. I would just automatically assume that eating in a certain way will result in, I don't know, a certain body size or health. Losing weight is kind of a standard. And I think a lot of the activists that you've mentioned are queer. I think we just have a better awareness or sense that we know how to disassociate ourselves or our lives from, you know, the male validation, because I feel like diet culture stems so much from the patriarchy and capitalism that we as queer people, obviously, we are more you know, aware of these things. We're more say educated because it's something that deeply affects us as a marginalized community so it yeah being in a lesbian relationship i would say it is really great to have someone in my life to kind of always just remind me that i am beautiful in my own way and having that support system being this long-term relationship is great Mm -hmm. Uh, but yeah i would say diet culture we've just been groomed to kind of abide by it growing up. I mean, growing up, I would say in my Filipino household, I've always thought that diets are just for rich people, or it's just a rich people thing. But you know, as I grew older, I definitely have given much more thought about, you know, what I eat, is this gonna gain me weight? And I feel like diet culture, it demonizes certain foods, and Mm -hmm. eating styles. And you know, obviously, being a woman of color, ethnic food i feel like it's like the enemy of diet culture and clean eating yeah yeah yeah. and poor people's food too it's a big thing with diet culture where like bread rice and potatoes which are all food that are like easily accessible for more poor people are constantly demonized all the time and i think you're right that dieting is like virtue signaling is class identifying so um yeah we're kind of arriving at the end of this. I'm wondering, is there something that you want people who are not lesbians to know about body image and lesbian? Like, is there a takeaway message? Or if there's a young lesbian woman listening to this, what is the message that you want to hear? Or what is the message that's like Jordan and I as two mostly like gay men presenting people 
you would like for us to know and to retain? I don't know if I think this way because I am queer or if like straight women also think this. But for me, I feel like I've missed out on certain opportunities, you know, my teen years, especially in early 20s, because I was so obsessed with how I looked. And like, was my laugh too loud? Did I speak too loud? Am I smiling the right way in this photo? Um, You know, I can't find many photos of myself in high school because of those insecurities and the way I looked and the way I felt. So for me, like, I would say to anyone listening, like, be kind with your words to other people because they, you know, they stick with you. As queer women, we're already struggling coming out or, you know, dealing with society's disapproval of our sexuality and to add any additional layers of your hatred towards the way I look or, you know, your comments about little things, they stick with people. Um, So yeah, I would say just be kind with your words and to, you know, young people who are feeling the same way I feel or felt, you know, get a good support system, get a good group of friends that helped me a ton. And as easy as it is, it's easier to say than to put into play, but don't care what people think. Mm-hmm. You know, live your life and try and get every opportunity and take videos of yourself, take pictures of yourself, post that selfie. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't Post that selfie. Post that. I'm trying to keep it a little light now, but yeah, that's what I would say. We're already, you know, dealing with our sexuality and trying to get people to accept that. Just be kind. Yeah, for sure. I would say to all our baby dykes and our baby gays out there, the very notion or idea of beauty is actually very, very diverse and is all about learning to love your beauty in all its forms and reject heteronormative beauty ideals and accept diverse body types. Don't be too focused on superficial, you know, notions of beauty, especially, you know, our bodies, it's in a constant, ever-changing state. So beauty is very diverse. But it's so tough, right? When you're being bullied. I'm going back to the hair you talked, Amanda. Like, yeah, like don't shave your legs. But also, if shaving my legs is going to prevent me from being bullied for the next year, maybe that's okay also to like avoid that bullying for a while. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I agree. It's like the safety. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I guess shaking off the prejudice when it comes to people who choose to implement, you know, changes in their appearance, that's okay too. If that makes you feel safe, that is totally fine. Yeah. Um, on a lighthearted note, maybe you can give us some recommendations for shows or movies that have positive queer female representation because we've talked so much about media on this podcast today. So like recommend some music or some videos or TV shows that you think are really great that people should check out. So music artist Haley Kiyoko, she's also known as Lesbian Jesus. Fletcher's a big one. Fletcher, Janelle Monáe. Yep. Kehlani. Kehlani. She's in the L Word. She's by also the way. in the L Word. I guess for shows, it's. Oh, gosh, I feel um, like it's it's drying out. You know, Booksmart. Booksmart's a good That's movie. That's a good one. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say about social media is um, I notice more influencers now that identify as lesbian or queer women, which is great to see on social media. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The one thing that we have in social media, although they have a lot of power over us, that we have a little bit of power to see who's in our feed and 
who we give some love to in our algorithms. So mm. um, make sure you do that at home and follow the lesbian person of color and fat lesbians or like femme and butch and go give them some uh, social media love. Yes, that's right. I was going to mention a few other shows and then I realized they were canceled. So I don't want to, you know, <laughs> get really hooked on a show and then, you know, you don't have your third <laughs> season or second season. Well, I guess that brings us to the end of our discussion. Thank you for sharing so much of your personal stories and going to some hard places, but also sharing some of the more lighthearted stuff. Um, I think we have a lot to take away from this episode, and I'm very thankful that I know a lot of queer women, such as yourself, who've helped me at least understand what's wrong with beauty culture. Because as a baby gay, I had some problematic thoughts about women and thinking I could tell women what to wear and what to dress because I was a gay man. And I got schooled on that pretty quick. So thank you for talking about the male gaze as well. So important. Thank you so much. I think I think the, the thing that was almost like the most eye-opening for me, and obviously it's not one size fits all, but the idea that like, yeah, the, the sort of like body image for a woman umbrella is kind of unfortunately sometimes taking power over the queer identity is, is kind of sad, but it makes sense. So that was like a really good way pretty early on in the show that you named it. And it sort of like reframed my whole brain around how I understand that, which it's kind of also terrible um, mm. when you slow down and think about it. Lauren and Amanda, do you have anything to plug? Follow our dog on social media. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> We're one of those. It's um, Espresso Doggo. Yeah. Follow your dog, Espresso Dogo, on social media. Yes. We will. Yeah. Are they on Twitter? Are they on Instagram? Which one? I'm guessing Instagram. <laughs> A dog on Twitter would be hard. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. thank you so much. Vincent, what are we doing next week for our next episode? Remind me again. <laughs> In our next two episodes, we're going to do two other special episodes with guest speakers. So you have that to look forward to. Jordan, I'm taking over. Thank you so much for uh, for being the lead interviewer today. You're so welcome. <laughs> Amanda, Lauren, thank you so much for your time and for, you know, making lesbians have a voice. I think it's really important. I keep wanting to do it on my podcast. It's super important for me as well. And it's because of people like you that there's more representation so I cannot thank you enough to talk about something that's really, really vulnerable. It was not always easy to find guest speakers willing to talk about body image live on the show. So thank you so much for that. Thanks for having us. And thanks for everything you do on your podcast. We're excited to see the next few episodes to come out this season. Yes, I'm, I'm a total fan. I started listening to your podcast. Thank you so much, Benson and uh, Jordan. And thank you, everyone, for listening. Of course, don't hesitate to give us a review or a comment. I will continue to read out the people who leave me a written review on Apple Podcast. If you want to stay in contact with me, you can follow the Mental Help Much Instagram account. And for Jordan, it's at Blood and Gore, G-O-R-R, like Bernard McFadden. <laughs> and until the next episode, please talk about mental health to everyone as much as you can and stay safe. Bye.